This is the Metal Set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. So, Dr. Jordan, we asked our listeners and followers, a lot of whom are athletes and train every single day to write in with questions, uh, burning questions that they have and they always like ponder over. So we're going to ask you a couple of those questions now. I think Dawn has the first one. Yeah. So an Instagram follower of ours and listener, there's been a lot of discussion about sugar, (laughs) 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 you know, and as we touched upon in the earlier episode about fueling and everything like that. Is sugar really bad for muscle recovery? Like, what's your opinion on sugar when it comes to athletes? Um, I mean, I'm someone who eats a lot of Haribo on, yeah. on, on, a, bike. on a bike ride. Yeah, yeah. A Coke, Haribo. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm not massively concerned about sugar, to be honest. Like, your body is really intelligent. And so long as your body is functioning properly and Mm. your pancreas is functioning properly, how you metabolize sugar is controlled by that and your body will just adjust to what you're eating. Now, is that good for you to survive off simple sugars? No, clearly not. (laughs) Um, However, for a quick hit in the middle of a ride, is that a bad thing? No, it's it's about what you need at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And a really good piece of research that looked at perception of energy after fueling on an endurance sport. And they looked at um, giving glucose, so sugar, through Mm. a drip, uh, drinking glucose or just swirling it around in your mouth so you could taste it. And actually it didn't, it was, the drip was less effective. Yeah. Uh, swirling it around in your mouth was just as, just as good as eating it. Wow. So, like, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Like, yeah. Your body responds <laughs> to sugar. To sugar. What is this? The placebo it, effect yeah, well, or something? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it, exactly that. Like your body is programmed to know, right, okay, I'm going to get something here. Now I can increase my energy. Yeah. So do whatever works. Like wow. if you're on a bike, if Haribo is what works for you, do it. Yeah. Um, total kind of segue into some useful information in general about Haribo is that there is some good evidence that collagen is useful for tendon health. Mm. So, and collagen, uh, is the building blocks for tendons. That's yeah. what they're made up of. But cooked collagen, collagen is gelatin, which is what Haribo yeah. made out of. Wow. Um, <laughs> they're liking that. I'm yeah. going to have, I, yeah. I always have dates on my rides. I'm yeah. going to have Haribo <laughs> now. I need, I need but collagen. In, I definitely honestly, need collagen. Honestly, there is some research that says it doesn't matter in what format you get that collagen <laughs> so long as you have it. So like I tell people this and always the question is, does that mean I can have Haribo? Which is why so, you have such you good know. skin, Dawn. <laughs> Clearly. Skin, nails, hair, tendons. I, I eat a lot of Haribo. <laughs> yeah. No, I that's, actually that's hair, the secret. I bought Haribo pajamas. That's how <laughs> I'm going to be kind of <laughs> <laughs> But just on that, um, I mean, whatever, do whatever is good for your health, right? Yeah. So... I may be guilty of this. I do not go see a doctor as often as I should. So... Yeah. Athletes, absolutely, anyone for that matter, but also athletes, it's very important that they have at least an annual check so that they know everything's functioning. Uh, Pre-diabetes and diabetes isn't an issue because that will then change the way they fuel. Exactly. Exactly that. Like if your body is normal, then it will adapt to how you feel. Now, overall, that fueling should be a healthy diet with uh, whole foods that meet all of the food requirements, nutrient requirements that you need. But if you have a bit more sugar, after, during a ride, it will handle that. If you have prediabetes, insulin resistance, it won't. Mm. And that's when it it becomes an issue. So you're totally right. It's about being aware of that, having all your cards out on the table. That's how you can adapt best to, to your own physiology. 
Great. So an ultra cyclist wrote to us, not Don. Uh, someone who follows us. It was an actual ultra cyclist. Um, She asked us, how do you keep your joints healthy? And what are the best supplements and workouts to help with this? Okay. So supplement wise, collagen, as I just talked Mm -hmm. about. Maybe maybe not always. (laughs) I'm pretty sure she has Haribo on her rides. Um, So like an easy way of getting, if you don't want to have Haribo as your collagen supplement, an easy way, probably the cheapest way is to get those gelatin sheets that you use for cooking. You Um, you can buy them from the supermarket, just stick that into a hot drink. It dissolves as long as you drink your hot drink when it's hot. Mm. Don't let it turn to jelly. (laughs) Um, It's a good way of getting some collagen into you. Um, The evidence for collagen for tendon health is to do drink or eat your collagen within an hour of doing your tendon Mm. loading. Okay. Um, so that would be the only supplement I would take for joint health. I have to be honest. Like there are people always ask me about chondroitin, glucosamine. There was a study a long time ago that showed some minimal benefit of that for osteoarthritis for people with osteoarthritis already, but it's not massive, the, the benefit. Um, and there were other studies that said actually that there isn't any. So I would not waste my own money on collagen, uh, sorry, on glucosamine and chondroitin. I would focus more on uh, keeping joints healthy through a mixture of strength work um, and flexibility. So there should be stretching involved in your training program. There should be weight-bearing activity. You should be moving in lots of different planes. You should be making sure that you're strong and remembering that joints aren't just your knees and your ankles your back you know Mm. your back has loads of joints every layer of your every uh, segment of your spine has a joint in between it so making sure that you're strong and and, you know I I run that's my primary sport now and I hear that all that stuff is not as fun as getting on your bike or going for a run (laughs) like that's the reality isn't it Mm. like it's easier just to pull your trainers on and go out the door but as we move through our lives and if we want to excel in the sports that we do there has to be some strength work included yeah the boring stuff in sports matters yeah it does does. some people like strength probably yeah (laughs) Yeah. not not the not the uh the slow kind like lifting yeah but then I I'm also again guilty of like avoiding some of the ones that are yeah. like well, actually I'm, very, very beneficial. Yeah. Well, now that you're talking about like, I never stretch. Yeah. yeah. Which is terrible. Exactly. Except my back when I'm like, oh. Yeah, and it gets really sore. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it gets like really yeah. stiff and sore. Yeah. And, so. you know, for, for cycling, it, it's such a, a specific sport, isn't it? You're sat down, you're in one plane, your body is moving And in, in a very, way. very, very certain exactly. position yeah. where exactly. your back is like kind of rounded. Yeah. 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 And so that's all... That's a really positive protective sport for your knees, actually, because you it's a quad dominant activity. Yeah. So mm. you get super good quad strength. Your knees are probably going to be fine because you're not loading through those knees in any way that they can't take and, mm. and you're strong to support that. However, are you as strong as you should be through that lumbopelvic area? Often cyclists aren't. And um, I do see cyclists with back pain because of that. You can generate more power on a bike. And this is this is like the buy-in for cyclists, right? You will get faster if you do this. Like, yeah. Um, Tell us. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, if you're because your your lumbopelvic area, so your pelvis on your lumbar spine is your foundation. Like mm. that's the bottom of your house, right? And everything else goes from that. And so if you can be strong and stable through that, even when you're sitting and trying to generate power, single leg on the bike, then you can generate more force. Like so, so those are things where like doing that core work is probably mm. how we would describe it is important for cyclists, even mm. though you're sitting. Like it is for runners. I talk a lot about like single leg strength work. So remembering like you don't hop 
on two feet when you run you're always on one leg and I talk to runners do you do any gym work do you do any strength work yeah normally that's the answer is yeah I do a bit uh, do you do anything on single leg no no you know uh, yeah. well that's not relevant to your sport then is it like yeah. because that's that's where you need to be strong same in a lot of uh, a lot of um, team sports as all right they oh the split squats yeah everyone knows about the split yeah. squats yeah. everyone's favorite <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. not my favorite I'm there with burpees <laughs> yeah. um another listener has asked us does or asked us to ask you do early menopausal women need extra calcium on top of hrt to prevent osteoporosis depends on the person mm. it's quite difficult to get enough calcium from your diet in, mm. in reality so often the answer to that is yes mm-hmm. what i would normally ask women to do is use a calcium calculator so if you google calcium calculator mm. osteoporosis something like that the osteoporosis society have an online calcium calculator that you can use so you just put in your daily intake for a couple of days and um, see what it comes out with and mm. if it comes out with a normal calcium then the answer is no you don't need supplement but if it comes out with half of the recommended daily amount which yeah. is often what it does then yes I would add in a calcium supplement to your diet or look at the whole foods and try and try and improve your your intake some weird stuff's got a lot of calcium in it ricotta cheese for example mm. loads of calcium so okay. you know spinach does as well doesn't yeah. It? Yeah. yeah so you could you know the stuff that you could add if you wanted to stitch the whole food approach do you have to take something else with calcium for better absorption they often go hand in hand vitamin d mm. yeah because the two are linked in terms mm. of their absorption vitamin d deficiency is super common a couple of different impacts on sports people so there's some evidence it reduces muscle power it also reduces having a low vitamin d that is um having low vitamin d also increases your risk of respiratory tract infections mm. so there's a study that showed that it people with low vitamin d had double upper respiratory tract mm. infections which is a lot right yeah. so I would supplement that in this country, super common because in the winter, so there's um, there's a little rule of thumb that if your shadow is longer than you are, there is not enough UV radiation to generate vitamin D through your skin. Right. Right. Um, so we're outside in the winter, primarily here in the UAE and because I'm that sad, I've looked at how, <laughs> when that happens um, and in in December, even at like two o'clock, your shadow's way longer than you right. are. So the sun's so low in the sky, mm. right? So there's not a lot of UV generated. Yeah. So when we are outside, often the UV index is just not enough. And then in, in the summer, um, we're not outside at mm. that because it's too mm. hot. I um, think uh, about 80%, if, if I have my statistics correct, but about 80% are vitamin D deficient yeah, in the UAE. So probably even more than that, I have yeah. to be honest. Like, and, and the challenging thing is... Um, insurance companies have picked up on this and so Mm. vitamin d tests aren't funded by insurance companies Mm. anymore like medically but it's important you know Mm. and i I don't think you're going to do much wrong by taking a vitamin d supplement Mm. the the other thing that stops you absorbing vitamin d is sun cream it it just blocks those uv rays so you can see why it's a problem here right we just there's never that time where we're able to to get it through our skin and it's really difficult to get through diet as well you don't absorb Mm. it very well is this an old wives tale that you should be like out in the morning without some sunscreen on just to get some of those no that's accurate okay (laughs) 15 minutes outside okay um you have to have both of your arms and your face or both Mm. legs okay like you have to have a good amount of skin out and it depends on your skin type as well. Mm. Like, so um, if you're super pale, you're going to generate more vitamin D than mm. someone with dark mm. skin. Like it's, it's harder um, for sure. Okay. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Uh, a listener who's just taken up running has asked us um, when an athlete should seek medical care for a sports injury that may just seem as a niggle or starts off as a niggle. Mm. Depends what it is, doesn't it really? Mm. When it's impacting you, I would say. 
it's normal to have nickels in sport, isn't it? That's what mm. that's what being active is, is mm. about. What's not normal is for that niggle to persist mm. or influence how you're able to perform or train. So I would say, you know, as a rule of thumb, if something's going on for more than a couple of weeks consistently, then I think about getting it checked out or sooner than that, if it's stopping you, like if, mm. it, if it's so painful or so restrictive. What I would welcome in my practice, it, particularly around tendon injuries, is seeing those kind of things earlier. So mm. in, in runners, that's often Achilles tendon. So at the back of the heel, in gym go is usually uh, tendons around the elbow. So golfer's elbow on the inside of your elbow or tennis elbow on the outside. Or we talked before about glute med tendons that's on the outside of the hip. People often put up with that for a really long time, months, sometimes years before they come don't to the doctor. Pain, don't train through pain. Yeah, don't train through pain. And well, maybe you can train through pain mm-hmm. to a degree. But I feel but like some people, advice. yeah, but I feel like some people have a really high threshold for pain. So yeah. they don't know when they've moved beyond that. True. Oh, I need to seek medical yeah. advice. I guess it's the, just the consistency of symptoms. I would say that mm. like tendon injuries, if I see them sooner in my practice, there is this window of opportunity where you can reverse things, mm. where if it's been going on for a really long time, it's a much more challenging situation. So I guess the other thing that athletes are always really scared about coming to the doctor is that I'm going to tell them to stop exercising. Yeah. And, you know, what that's I would say is probably like, choose, me. Just, yeah, choose your doctor carefully and yeah. go and see a sports doctor because that's very <gasps> unlikely to be the case. Yeah. Like, uh, particularly for tendon injuries, like if we take Achilles as an example, like deloading an Achilles to help with recovery is important, mm. but that's a relative deload. That's not stopping completely mm, yeah. because your collagen fibers, your tendon fibers just go like, oh, great, I'll have a rest, but they get weak and lazy. And then you still have to get back to the capacity that you want, which means you've got further to go. So what we should be doing is modifying activity, not nobody as a sports person if you have an injury and someone tells you to go home and sit on a sofa and rest just go and ask someone else yeah. as well you that, know? that's happened to me so last year I broke my uh, clavicle uh, in a uh, cycling race and my surgeon who did a fantastic job told me that I cannot do anything for six weeks at all mm. uh, not even physio and uh, two weeks a week in I was so restless I spoke to my coach and he was like please go see your sports sports doctor and uh, I saw a sports doctor and he was like well one you got to start physio Mm. immediately and in two weeks I can suggest that you at least get onto a turbo and start cycling a little bit and then you can then start adding runs into it so that kind of just made my Mm. day because I was so upset that he was like six weeks nothing and I was like I can't go from like 100 to zero (laughs) you know like I can't do that I think um, it's uh there's this, the surgical mindset and you can understand that advice mm. because if someone's operated on you, they want their operation to work mm. and um, so they want you to do nothing that will risk that. But seeing someone who's a bit more familiar with the sports side of things, we as sports doctors are absolutely used to just working around that. Like, mm. you know, I see it a lot in lots of specialties across medicine, probably the most common in female athletes is uh, in obstetrics, in pregnancy, you know, obstetricians will tell you, I'll just rest. Like, you know, because we want to take care of baby. But the reality is that's not the best advice. And Mm. and, um, and so working with a sports doctor, like that's, you just need a bit bit of, 
combination of expertise, yeah. I suppose. And, uh, you know, I don't mean to tar every doctor with that brush. There are plenty mm, of obstetricians yeah, that of have course. some good advice around pregnancy, but just every doctor looks at their special, mm. through their specialty prism, don't they? And, mm. and so, you know, you just have to make sure that the doctor is looking at you through the right prism mm. for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking as you're speaking, I, I mean, I've never really injured myself through sport, but I, there was one period I pulled all the muscles in my stomach through CrossFit oh, <laughs> and I pinched painful. a nerve into my back oh. and I went to the same ER to the same doctor and she's like, whatever you are doing, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> stop doing it. <laughs> Which I ultimately didn't. Like, I mean, I've moved on from mm. CrossFit to other sports, but, and I think, you know, CrossFit is maybe not my sport, but yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's athletes really... also recover very differently. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just very recently, I had a tailbone fracture and I did train through it and realized that, I mean, because I was training through it, I got better very yeah. quickly and it just didn't impact a lot. I mean, yeah. I couldn't squat for a few weeks, but that aside, running, cycling just helped me yeah. recover faster. Yeah. Um, another question, and I think we probably know the answer to this a bit based on what we've talked about earlier. How beneficial is foam rolling before and after exercise? And is there such a thing as too much? <laughs> um, maybe, I think this I is think someone who's is. maybe a bit bored with foam rolling. Uh, <laughs> foam rolling is painful. I don't yeah. know if you can do too much of it. So stretching is important. Um, maintaining your tissue health is important. Foam rolling alone, I wouldn't, that wouldn't be the only thing that I would do. Like I would use it in combination with a stretching mm. regime with some base strength exercises. And it depends which bit of you are foam rolling and how you're foam rolling, right? But if you are doing a lot of sport, you need to take care of your connective tissue. And foam rolling is really beneficial for fascial health. So mm -hmm. fascia is like the kind of spider web that connects muscles and bones mm -hmm. together. It's really important. It's affected by hydration. It's affected by stress. It's affected by tiredness. And it can predispose you to injury and pain. And foam rolling can really help with fascial health. So it increases mm. blood supply. Um, uh, it can release that. So it feels better. Is it going to solve your injury by foam rolling? No, mm. but it's it's about maintaining your overall tissue health. So yeah, um, it is important uh, if you're doing a lot of activity. If you just sit on the sofa, probably no need to foam mm. roll. Is there a such thing as too much? Um, well, everything in life, there's yeah. too much. Like I'm seeing this person later, so I'm going to ask them like, <laughs> how much? How much are you foam rolling? Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, ten minutes. I mean, yeah. that's fine. Yeah. So I have um, an athlete friend who was asked not to foam roll because of some issues that he or she may have. Yeah. Is that something yeah. that you would avoid recommending to a certain athlete? Yeah, it depends on what the problem is. Right. Um, but yeah, sometimes we do tell people mm. specifically not to foam roll certain places. Okay. Like, yes, that can be advice mm. depending on what's, what's okay. going on. Yeah. yeah. Last question. How early is too early to bring a child in for a checkup? Like if, it, if you've got a child, you know, the person who, who's asking this is a five-year-old and they're not involved heavily into sports, but is there a recommended time? You know, they're active, they're running around or is there, you know, or should you wait to a certain period or if your child is involved in like, you know, kind of sport. sports? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess it a young age, they're going to still be being seen by mm. their pediatrician mm -hmm. as they're having their immunizations. And so in that kind of really early below 10, so long as they're just doing like normal sport, I would say that they're fine to be looked after by their general pediatrician, yeah. have their yearly child development checks and their immunizations. If someone is 
I'd say probably over the age of 10 if someone's doing a lot of sports. So the time where I start to see children with injuries as, as they hit the growth phase, right. um, so specific types of injuries that affect growth plates in children. And we mm-hmm. see that from the age of 10 up really, sometimes a tiny bit earlier. But that's the kind of time, um, particularly here in the UAE, kids are so active mm-hmm. and they do a load of stuff. And so we see those kind of growth plate injuries quite commonly just through kids doing loads and growing at the same time. Mm-hmm. So probably that I would say usually not a lot of need before the age of 10. If they're doing an awful lot, then maybe around about that time. If there's specific concerns, obviously sooner than that. But it, in terms of like routinely, as long as they're not doing a huge amount of, you know, say they're doing like high level gymnastics, mm-hmm. it's probably the most common thing at the yeah. age of 10. I would be happy for them to be seen on an as required basis rather mm-hmm. than needing to come regularly. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank Is there you, any Louise. last words? Anything? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think no, so. I think we covered a lot. This yeah, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. And thank you. Really appreciate yeah, all the insights. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends. And even frenemies. Or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.